Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside. Just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra site is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the BATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. 
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. live so thank you uh Stuart, for coming in so my name is jeff i'm the host of bucks for america podcast here i got everything up and running here so i've been following Stuart now since oof man early this summer and what caught my eye is that he's got a real good knack for explaining his videos and his bow builds he's very articulate with it and he's very analytical in the whole process and the fact that we both like mutual uh products so that we kind of kind of i fed off of that but he has got a knack for it i mean he's growing his YouTube following, he's growing his Instagram following, so please make sure everybody go out, like, and subscribe, and follow, and comment, drive the listeners and the viewership up for everybody's podcast, we greatly appreciate it, thank you, Zachary, it looks like he must know you, awesome guys, so this podcast is bringing me pretty fun, because now I do recommend going to go re- reach out and listen to Stuart's podcast on Montana Knox and Red Bearded Outdoors. So I just downloaded Red Bearded Outdoors. That came out on October 22nd, so I haven't listed that one yet. But this one, this podcast is just going to be fun, because he's already been on a couple of them. So it's like it's going to be a good experience all the way around, man. So now I know you're a Marine. I know you've been, bounced around all over the country. You live in Alabama and stuff like that. Why don't you... Um, Tell us, like, your what got you in the outdoors? Tell us about your roots and tell us as many stories as possible. Yeah, so uh, what got me into the outdoors really is my dad. I mean, growing up, um, I grew up in northwest Florida, and, you know, whether it was fishing in the summertime uh, or we actually started out uh, duck hunting when I was little um, and, uh, you know, always had a love for archery, though. So kind of picked up a bow sitting around in the garage. It's like an old bear fiberglass bow. I think I've told the story on some other podcasts before, but that was it. A handful of busted cedar arrows and a, a, it was like a bright orange fiberglass bow. And that's where archery started for me. And um, just kind of grew up, got into, you know, deer hunting with my dad through middle school, high school. And then, you know, um, kind of rest is history. It's It's just really... Uh, been a, a love that I've always had, man. So now with your videos and YouTube videos and such, can you give us some examples of your youth and like what allows your mindset to be able to be to break down your videos when you're when you're talking technically to the, the camera about your setups and such? Can you give us some some good stories from back in the day from what you said your dad's old bow was is a, is a classic? Yeah, so um I guess it started with how my dad taught me. I mean, he really was able to take like complex uh, parts or complex kind of situations and break them down into layman's terms so that, you know, an eight-year-old can understand it. So, um, you know, down to bow form, bow grip, arrows, why arrows fly a certain way, those types of things. And that's actually translated even into my professional life. So I'm an accountant um, in my, in my, you know, in the real world. And um I work in manufacturing, so I'm having to take numbers and financials and explain that to engineers and and people that are non-financial type people. So I think um, it's kind of like storytelling a little bit. If people don't understand your story, they don't understand, you know, 
the complexity to it, then it doesn't do any good. So I think being able to kind of break that down shows that you really understand your topic and, and uh, you know, it's more useful for, for your audience as well. So that is a good way to put it too. I've always been able to digest a lot of information, regurgitate it. So I've been, even in my professional realm, I've been in the factory side of it, working on the floor, working on the floor. Now I work in IT, so it's a big transition from it. But a lot of the, before I got to my position, I was a trainer and I had to work with practitioners and stuff like that with, for LHI. With you being former military, you probably know that acronym very, very well, considering your career. Now, how, when, to, when did you get in, when did you decide to join the military? So I was, I was, uh, I was right out of high school. So, uh, you know, growing up, we didn't really have uh, money to go to college or anything like that. So it was kind of either take out a bunch of debt or figure it out on your own. And, um, you know, military kind of ran in my background and uh, decided to go into the Marine Corps. This was uh, early 2000. So um, September 11th and all that hadn't really happened yet. <laughs> so I signed up before and, um, you know, it, uh, you know, a year later or so was basically when that, that kind of kicked off. And I was in until I guess it was 2006 is when I got out. So, um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of activity for sure. That, oh, especially during that time, you, I mean, it was a little shitstorm from there. I mean, I watched 9-11 unfold in front of me in school and such. And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of folks are kind of forgotten where we once were. And now we have this just, the, this divide across the country, but when it comes down to on one thing here, I want to say happy birthday to the Marines, yeah. Semper Fi. You know, they were your birthday. Birthday was last just last week on on uh, November tenth. You know, that is just a remarkable story. I don't know. Have you have you ever seen the comedian? Well, I wouldn't just call him a comedian, but he is a he's called the Fat Electrician. He's based out of Iowa. Absolutely hilarious dude. But he his whole content is military he actually breaks down all kinds of fun stuff he's like talks about all ty different types of warfare technology guns and stuff like that i don't know you ever come across him i haven't i haven't oh, oh if you ever find i don't know if he i know he's on tiktok i'm not sure if he's on youtube or not but the guy is just hilarious but then again anybody that joins the services are just have a a unique sense of humor the way to to cope through things yeah i mean no, no doubt you, you kind of have to be i mean um, you kind of learn to compartmentalize certain things and, and deal with it or not. And, um, you know, I think anybody that can make light of it and see the good parts of it, cause there's a lot of good, uh, really that came out of, you know, my, my time in the service for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, something, you know, never, never, uh, never forget at all, but yeah, 247 years, Marines, rock. Yeah, exactly. It is remarkable the whole history, like starting in a bar, obviously, and going from to where we're at today. It's like we are literally. That's like if we need something done, that's what we send out first to the Marines, and usually that's what uh, sets the pace for the entire trend. That's it. Older than the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> that is so. That is exactly by one year. Exactly. Yeah. Now, one thing I've I've been paying attention to is that with the the recruiting numbers with all the branches and stuff like that. Now, what I've noticed is that. What's what reason why those numbers are gotten of lower is because we're talking to veterans like yourself that started serving during that 1999 to 2006. Now, let's say you had a kids born just around that time. Now they're 18, 20, 21, and a lot the the kids have seen what has gone on with their parents' lives and such. And it is it is definitely a big change from when my uncle was in the Vietnam War, my grandparent, my grandpa was in the Korean War and such. And so, the, the unique thing about um, 
we've, we've, we're, we're, we're addressing everything. We're helping everybody out. But still, when it comes down to the mental health aspect inside the service there, I was listening to uh, Aaron Ritter. He is the creator and founder of Limitless Outdoors. And he lost his leg in, an, in a motorcycle accident, not actually in the service, but he's EOD. And so he's an incredible man. But he was talking about like how his experience was like trying to, to go through the process of handling PTSD and opening up and talking about such a task, especially still being in the military because certain things said could just sideline your entire career. Yeah. I mean, and it, I think the, the big transition uh, if people do it is, is getting out and kind of going into the real world. So like, you know, a minute ago, I mentioned I'm an accountant at a manufacturing facility and, and that type of thing. And um, it's good. I didn't jump right into it because it, it definitely, takes you a while to kind of like reintegrate. Um, you know, I, I don't really struggle too much with certain things, but there's definitely like bits of, you know, anxiety or things that, that grab me from time to time. And I know, you know, it could be from, from them that then I, you know, it's just something I'm not really dug too deep into really. But, um, again, there's a lot of resilient people out there that, um, do a lot of good. And, you know, it sounds like, uh, that's, that's certainly a case he is doing, doing a lot of good. Yeah, that is the best part about it. Now, I was, I was talking, uh, if you notice behind me, I have HHA USA behind me, and that's a big veteran organization with Chris Hammond, HHA USA, uh, with HHA Sports and such. And this next upcoming year, I'm looking forward to the the, uh, the uh, release of the upcoming uh, schedule and such. I'm not sure when it's going to come out. I'm hoping it's going to be for, before Christmas, fingers crossed. But if you ever have a chance, I know Chris has been trying to grow it. He's doing from what I understand, he's going to do four shoots this year, and he's going to do one out of state. Don't know where exactly where it is yet, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see what all comes out of that. But if you ever have a chance to fly up or come up and meet Chris, you you will be a uh, a relationship you'll never forget. Yeah, I, I've heard I've heard a lot of good things about him and and the company. Even that uh, just a lot of outreach and things that they do. It's it's really impressive. We don't get a lot of shoots uh, down here in Alabama other than we have a Foley shoot that happens um, Foley, Alabama, which is not, not too far away. But other than that, man, I'm so jealous. I see a lot of the cool shoots, you know, you guys do up there and, and further out west and all that, too. Oh, definitely. I got uh, friends of mine who were trying to hook up with, like, uh, the bow spider guys, the bow hitch guys, and then trying to try to get together and do one big old fun shoot at one later to be a tack or a, a mount archery fest. But it's – it's uh, a lot of things got to pick and choose and what we're going to go on because this year was 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 a struggle for a lot of people to make these trips but now it's like we don't know what is going to bring in for next fall and such because it's the gas prices are not looking like they're getting any shorter yeah. wall street said they're going to complete they're not going to allow uh, any any new drilling or anything because like it's well wall street is doing a really good job of strangling that opportunity for the, for that type of growth now when it comes down to when you when you when you rotated out of the military like did you get right back in the outdoors or did you have a pause? Cause like, it's kind of like, uh, I've seen people with going through college, yep. they'll forget about it and then they'll go a, a spirit time without getting back into it. Yeah. That's a good question. No one's really, really, uh, I think understood that, but yeah, I had a stint where, um, I, I had to put everything aside for, for a few years. Um, and you know, while it killed you, you just kind of have to do what you got to do. Right. So, you know, being, oriented and, and knowing what you want to go to achieve there's some sacrifices you had to make and that was outdoors was was uh one of them for uh several years 
So uh, was it like a, you were you able to get right back into it in the right after you got out of the military, or did, did you go back to Florida? Or give us a little um, timeline after you got out in two thousand six. Yeah, so um, I actually met uh, a few guys that um, you know got into you know or were into hunting and had contacts different places. So it wasn't like a hard you know start and stop. Uh, I kind of eased back into it. Um, you know, college took up some time and things like that. And even down here, you know, I'd meet, um, you know, several guys from, you know, the South that this, it's in our blood. I mean, it's, it's the heritage down here. We hunt and hundred percent, you know what I mean? So, um, it actually was, you know, once I picked it back up, it was like, I never stopped really. Um, so yeah. So when it, so when it, with, with all the things you do, cause you, you've hunted elk, you've hunted whitetail, you've hunted duck of something like that what has been like some of your most uh revolutionary experiences like some of those aha moments or that that uh that connection between you and god like what are some of those those uh stories man i will so the most recent one has got to be the elk hunt right so that was my first time really being out west and and experiencing big country um big animals much bigger than any of the little whitetail that we have running around down here but I think just the, the whole presence and experience of that type of country, um, it's so big and you realize how small you are and it's just amazing, you know, what, what we have to enjoy. Um, yeah. And, you know, you, you can kind of take it for granted a little bit wherever you live because with all the travels that I've done and I've been to some cool places, experienced real cool things, actually a lot of times at home, you oversee some of the beauty that's around you at home. So it, you know, I go on these cool trips, I get back and I'm really appreciative of what I have here. But, um, you know, I think the elk hunt and, and hearing the bugles and, and just that whole experience, just just amazing what we have to, to really enjoy and be a part of. Um, and the other part of it is I wish I wouldn't have waited so long. I mean, I'm not old by any means, but, um, you know, I would, encourage anybody that's out there listening like don't wait figure out a way to do it if you have to do over the counter or whatever get out west go experience it um it is it is second to none oh yeah i have uh friends that will do the beast mode archery or beast mode archery games here challenges here in wisconsin but a big thing they're big proponents of it's like even if you don't get a draw on a tag it's like tag along because the ability to be able to join in on that, and you may not be have, you may not have a tag, but maybe but be a, a tag holder. But that experience in itself, because you're going to be in the shit, you're going to be learning everything that's going on. You'll be paying attention to the foliage, the, where they're where up elevation, stuff like that. The how they communicate, how they talk, and like how it really echoes through the the uh, the passes in, the, in those little Hell's Canyons areas where it gets just thick between everything. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I mean. The uh, I got to experience some of South Dakota Hell's Canyon area with with uh, some of the guys out there. And that was another just absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's country that you, I just didn't even know we had. You see pictures of it and it's that's one thing. But when you go out and actually see it, experience, walk it. I mean, like I said, you just realize how small you are in, in such a big, vast world that we have. I mean, you just have to get out and enjoy it. Oh yeah, hundred percent, man. I completely agree with you. Like I, I was talking to Zach Hansen last week. This is uh, his book, and this is uh, Turning Feral. Now, the book behind this right here is that he wrote this right after his divorce, 
and he relocated. Now he's been able to figure out to be able to make everything low tech in a high tech world by, by being able to move way out into Atlanta, Idaho. And he used his experience out there to go through the highs and lows of going through the divorce and going the mental anguish and then being able to recover and like restart a soul, like bring all those pieces together. And now he's married with two kids and this is all in the matter of like a handful of years. So it's like, one of the things we had mentioned is like, that's that accelerated quickly. No. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. So like, you know, we're so busy with technology and work and, you know, all the distractions that we have in the world that, getting out in nature, experiencing and doing something that, you know, we were made to do, we were made to hunt, we were made together. That, that, that is, you know, ingrained in every single, you know, one of us, when you do that, it brings, I'm telling you just such an inner peace and um, something, you know, it just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up just talking about it. Um, it it's just amazing. And, and, you know, I, I hate to see, you know, I hear the conversation of like, oh, we have too many hunters and, you know, Joe Rogan and whoever else has made too many hunters and all that. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? The more that of a voice we have and the more, you know, we, we have in terms of conservation, the longer we get to enjoy it. And, you know, I just encourage as many people that come and hunt. And that's kind of why I do some of the videos that I do in archery is archery to me is a beautiful sport and it has a very steep learning curve. And I try to make it as simple as I can so that people will maybe just go out and try it. And I'm, I'm sure I'm positive. Once they try it, you know, they'll get hooked. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just something we're, it, it's in our, it's in our blood. It's something that it, it, it releases that primal uh, masculine energy that that has kind of been lacking here. Uh, Paul and Feathers, he just uh, podcast. He just joined. Hey, I just finished up your podcast with Armando. Great podcast, and uh, he's the one that created the the, the bow hitch because carrying your bow literally sucks. And it's like <laughs> I I tell you what, it's like I was last week, last Monday. It was a picture perfect situation here. Setting like getting back to like getting away from all your your technology. I have a I have a little piece of. 2,000 acres of public land, like literally 15 minutes away. And it is so densely forested that there's no service back there. So it's like, I get in, I send a, like, I, 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 I plan out my journey ahead of schedule, send my wife those coordinates. So just in case if something bad happens, well, this is where he told me he was going. So hopefully this will work out. It's like, cause it's like, you never know what's going to happen. Cause uh, the bluff country is very rugged, rugged. And it's like for folks that come that have hunted out West, Really appreciate the, the the driftless area that uh, we call home here. Now, what had happened last Monday is like I decided to go out hunting. It was like I don't, first time I ever stepped foot on this property, even though I've been lived only like 15 minutes away for the last year. W- drive out there, spend only an hour and 15 minutes out there. That's like that's between when I stepped out there and and last light. And I'm walking around, scoping everything out, see a lot of deer signs. Like all right, first time here, I'm not gonna go too far in, and. That, that magic half hour, we're let from uh, uh, sundown to last light. All of a sudden, I see this buck cross the top of the hill. And I'm playing the thermals in the wind like perfectly because he's coming out here. His nose is straight up in the air. It's like, yeah. oh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. And it's like, but nope. He, he brought his hat back down, kept on walking down. I was like, this is perfect. So I have my bow in my hand, already had, or on my bow hitch. I knocked an arrow, and it's like, it's almost like a, a, a single point sling. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I saw him, I quickly grabbed him, 
grab my bow, get it all set up and ready to, it didn't launch an arrow, but I was ready for it. I was just kind of like, I've been practicing how, like what's going to happen with it when something does come across. And he comes out, gets within 30 yards. But the, the rush, the, the tough part about it was it had all these little sapling trees and these, these all these little crisscrossed limbs. Like, and there's only like, I only had two lanes of clear sh- uh, shooting lane right. to where I'd be able to sink it right in without an issue. And it's like, oh man, it's like, I was telling my buddy, uh, Ben Klaus, uh, Klausman from uh, Sodak Horizon, like, dude, this would have been a perfect video for uh, the bow hitch and for advanced outdoor technologies. Because yep. it's like, I, I, I had the, everything all set up in the right spot where this way could have, if they get again, it gave me an opportunity. I would have been an arrow at it, so just because it's like I've been practicing with the whole setup all summer long and learning the kinks about the whole process. I'm a I'm a tech guy too. I don't have my bullet behind me because it's sitting in my truck right now. Because it's like when I have an opportunity, I, I get out there as fast as possible. Because I try to hunt during the week, so this way there's nobody out there. Like this weekend, every every spot that's public and it had anywhere between two to two to six cars out there. And the thing is, is like when you get to these spots, you don't know where they all went off to. It's like I don't want to ruin their hunt, but then again, I've also had I've also been able to jump up deer, and it could run over that person's stand there, and all of a sudden they get arrowed. Yeah, sure. It happens. I've done the the party hunting for shotgun in Minnesota for years. Yeah. So you never know what's going to happen, and it work out in the benefit. You know, hopefully they'll be able to stop and go from there. Yeah. No, I saw. So I hunted with Ben up in uh, South Dakota for the for antelope. Um, was it August? And, uh, I saw the, the bow hitch on, on his, his bow and setup looks pretty cool. So, so question for you. So when you have, when you're set up, are you, are you in like a lock on or something like that? And you have, you have your bow on the bow hitch or like how to, how do you typically use it? So for me, I'm a ground to pound guy. I actually have a ghost blind, or if I'm just going into a new piece of property, I will go find and figure out how I can hide behind a massive oaks big trees stuff like that and that's how i do it okay. so i'm just walking right in there and i find a stump and i'll sit down so i'm very low tech because sometimes i, I can be able to drive further in and i just got to be paying attention i'm always looking at shot shot placements or where i can hide at yeah. so i have it literally set up on my right hand or my left hand side yeah in my in the holster and then so this way when i'm able to grab it so if it's sitting right here i have a have my hand on the riser be able to just grab it, and then I have this AOT um, outdoor adv- uh, advanced outdoor technology. Yep. It's a release holster. I've got one. And you, oh, oh, you do you, you, you know Paul, so that's that works out pretty well. But it's able to grab it and just line up without an issue. That'd be cool. Actually. Oh, that's right, because I thought yeah, that's right. You went out to uh, there right after Ben did, or during the same time with Ben did when they did the uh, the two veterans out there with Dirk Stark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did the veterans hunt. Um, out there that was that was a really cool time enjoyed enjoyed hanging out with ben and zach uh that was on earlier he was he was with us he was one of the veterans that, that came so it's cool yeah zach i had actually had his wife liz Ann on my podcast earlier this summer and we were talking about uh all the things that she's got going on and she's done a real she has a really special thing for getting women outdoors and stuff like that. she says it does an amazing boost for their confidence sociability uh the husbands like they'll, they'll actually go out and pay for them to go out and do this stuff and they always have just an absolute blast but uh, yeah tony and uh liz are just two remarkable people that's cool and they only live like two hours from me so it's like it's it's great to, it's, a, it's amazing how small our world really is now oh i know i mean like you know you're you're mentioning people i'm like oh yeah i hunted with them <laughs> and i'm in alabama <laughs> I mean, that's kind of one of the cool things about social media i mean it, you know people can complain about it but i think it's one of the coolest things and just meeting people and get to hunt and experience 
you know, camp with, with different folks. It's, it's pretty awesome. Oh, I, I completely agree. And like, I tell people to come on over. I, I'm always a big proponent, like come to Wisconsin because you can get an over the counter buck tag for 160 bucks and your season starts September or second week of September. And depending on what area you're in, it go all the way up until January 31st. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, so this year I'd, I'd planned really heavy on the West hunt. So I did antelope in August. I did elk in September and I kind of left the whitetail thing like, and, and normally I'm a whitetail hunter. Um, I, I kind of put that, you know, in the, on the back burner and didn't really have a whole lot of plans. So now that like November is coming, I'm looking at like all these posts and all my buddies like sending me photos and, and um, you know, of some studs, especially this past week. I mean, it's heating up. And um, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not going to make that same mistake next year. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is quite remarkable what how everything goes. Pretty much right when uh, I always find that second week between November seventh and uh, Veterans Day that this 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 piece this week right here really pops off in Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois. Yeah. Like I had uh, my buddy Travis Rexton, he shot his buck yesterday. I was kind of hoping to tag it on that basket six. I was I saw on Monday. Um, then. Uh, Shea Butler, he makes Shea Butler knives there in Illinois. He shot his buck this this weekend. So there's a lot of just monsters being shot all over the place. But it's like it's that cold that finally came through and it finally got cold for us here. You know. Now what makes Alabama interesting is like, what was that? I think it was in the 80s or 90s when they were they were transplant whitetails from Air, uh, West, uh, Wisconsin down there and throughout the Midwest, and they still oddly enough that those deer that they brought down still hold true to their breeding habits from up here. Yeah. So the different parts of the state got deer from different areas where I'm at, we have like the, the native coastal deer, um, which are, you know, they're not as big. Their rut is like end of January, beginning of February. I mean, you'd be like turkey hunting and see scrapes and rubs and stuff. It, it's nuts. And, um, but like the middle of the state is the black belt region um that's got some some really nice deer and obviously as you go north closer to tennessee and all that um got some big studs but um yeah i i uh, i was on a lease for a while in nebraska and uh got to experience you know some of that kind of you know big deer country and uh for several years and i really 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 miss uh hunting the midwest uh, for whitetail there's just nothing like it I tell everybody, it's like, if you're going to hunt the Midwest, move to Iowa and then hunt everywhere else because Iowa is the most complicated. It's, it's, it gets, it takes a long time to get drawn. And the biggest thing is you got to figure out where all the quotas are. So like you have Milwaukee County, which is Decorah, where is the hometown of Expedition Archery. That's got some massive bucks all along there. Anything along the Mississippi Valley is good to go. Then you have, um, what is it on the West side of the state? You have, uh, uh, Rendell Eric, he, that monster slayer. I mean, he's he's put, he's been he's been consistently putting bucks down. Then you have John Dudley, which is, and then you got John Dudley, uh, Johnny Mulligan, and uh, Tim Silva. They're all in that southeastern Iowa right there. So you, you, you get all that area. So you just got to figure out what makes sense in your area to go hunting at. But then like you got Minnesota, which is a hundred sixty dollar uh, non-resident tag. Wisconsin, one hundred sixty. Illinois. 600 bucks and then you have nebraska i'm not sure what nebraska is but i know like a mule deer archery tag and a, when a white deal archery tag is like 350 bucks i'm not sure yeah. if it's gone up or gone down but that is still very reasonable yeah no absolutely it used to be like two something or whatever and it was just a deer tag you know whatever whatever you got into i hunted um where i was at was on the like republican river area so it was like on the border of kansas and and uh, nebraska 
and had okay. absolute freaking monsters out there. Isn't it just isn't it just so amazing? And then uh, was there's a few I don't a few people tagged out this weekend in, down there in Kansas and such. One of the yeah. guys that shoots for HHA, he finally broke his three year curse. But you know what? It, you know it's all about timing, man. It is a very difficult thing. Aaron Ritter, that I was talking about, he shoots for uh, VIP or Veteran Innovator Products, and he shot out he arrowed a one seventy in Nebraska last week. So it's awesome. like that's freaking awesome. Yeah, no, that is that is awesome. Yeah, my I've got uh, a buddy right now that. He, uh, he drew archery in Kansas and he's, he went up there once. Um, he had to come back down, take care of some family stuff. And he's like sending me pictures. He's like, man, I need to be up there right now. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'll cover for you. <laughs> like whatever you need to do, like just go brother. Yeah. Oh, up there, go out hunting up in Canada, uh, Kansas, Kansas. Okay. All right, man. That'd be amazing to do. Go do that. I have a friend, I have a friends of mine that, uh, he's been on my podcast too. He goes down to Kansas. I don't know if he's going out there yet. Or not? It is get a new promotion. We both work for the same company, so he may have gotten a promotion where he his time is more limited. He has to have a balance between because he does also over the road stuff for LHI. So it's it's a interesting uh, combination. But it you are right though. It's like when the internet is such a unique wild west when it comes down to connecting with different folks to go hunting. It's just remarkable. Yeah, yeah. So that maybe maybe I work too much on the western stuff. I got to work on my my Midwest uh, whitetail connection. <laughs> for next year oh yeah the, the, the cool part is man there's a lot of people all of us like going out there i was talking to eric hansen last or no zach hansen last week and he said like the when he got into hunting he's only been hunting for six years yeah. and he 10x his experience when he moved out to idaho but when he got into archery and when he got into it it's like he was blown away about how opened armed hunters really are about getting new people out there and like talking about the science and playing the windage and thermals and all this exciting stuff. Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you go to the gym and you get, you get people that, uh, you know, want to tell you everything they know or, 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 you know, how to do something. I think, I think it's similar, um, especially in the archery world. There's a lot of people with a lot of knowledge and they want to, you know, help and, and coach and all those types of things. So um, no, it's a cool community for sure. No, have you, have your kids gotten hunting yet? Yeah. So my little one, um, so he's nine. So I have a 15 year old daughter and she's asked for the first time this year, she wants to go and, and shoot a deer. So I'm going to take her out. Uh, oh, dead wind. Yeah. So, so, you know, it gives me an excuse to get out there. My nine year old is an absolute killer. Uh, <laughs> he shot his first deer uh, when he was seven, he shot a doe. And then last year he's like, daddy, I want to get a buck. I'm like, all right. So uh, this is, you know, rifle, rifle hunting right now. And uh, so last year we went out, Alabama has a youth weekend, which is actually was last weekend. And uh, so he, he shot a doe uh, last weekend, but last year we had, I don't know, four shooter bucks come out on the plot and okay. Shooter bucks here are like hundred, 110 inch deer. Right. Which, which is, you know, amazing deer uh, for, for Alabama. Oh yeah. No, you can't do, you can't compare apples to oranges when it no, comes down no, no. to a Wisconsin buck down to an uh, a Alabama buck. And those are still, I've, I've heard people like the like when they're up in the tree stand or in a saddle and stuff. Like, those deer will actually look up at you and 100%. then turn around and hightail it. Up here, the whitetails up here don't do that. You could be uh, Rendell Eric. He shoots. He shot his one seventy one last year, only five feet off the ground. Yeah, well, that was that was what blew my mind because I've I'd hunted the South my whole life in Florida and, and Alabama and and. I mean, our deer are cracked out, methed out deer. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> on freaking edge the whole time. And they're looking up, walking through the woods, looking at, looking for, you know, 
tree stands and everything. But um, yeah, going out to the Midwest, uh, you know, I was I was like overly cautious and overly, you know, trying to, you know, not move and, and be quiet and, and all that. And uh, they just were blow, especially during the rut. They don't care. They were blowing right they past don't. you. It was it was cool. Um, but uh, but yeah, so my little one. Uh, he shot a, he shot an eight point opening uh, weekend last year. And then uh, we got on, there was a really old seven point that actually I was trying to, 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 to kill. And he was with me one weekend. And, um, you know, so we had the rifle with us and uh, we had an agreement before we went out. We're like, all right, dude, if we go out and the seven point comes out, it's, it's daddy's. And uh, he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, luckily, well, not luckily, but unfortunately that, that thing came out and he looks at me and he's like, dad are you gonna shoot it yeah that's the agreement right and uh he just started to like tear up a little bit i'm like all right pull your rifle out you can shoot him (laughs) he he ended up shooting two really nice bucks last year um so he's he's hooked and uh he got a bow for christmas so as soon as we can get his poundage and consistency up um i'm gonna i'm gonna you know have him put that rifle in the in the safe for a bit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome so now with your daughter with her being 15 and uh she's finally asked for her to go out hunt with you is she gonna go bow hunting with you or is she gonna go crossbow or gun no it'll be it'll be rifle it'll be rifle uh i've got a little 243 set up and um that's what the kids shoot and uh she'll, she'll use that she's she's never really got into the archery thing i think you know she's never asked about it or anything i think the, the, the gateway drug will be rifle season and we'll see how it goes. Right. <laughs> That's usually how it goes. Like I was a gun hunter all the way up until 2014. And it's like, I kind of got uh, the, I, it just kind of lost all of its luster for me. So yeah. I wanted a new challenge and that's why I switched over archery. And now I've, I'm going, I, I have a, the buck that you see on my Instagram right behind me here. I shot him in 2017. So I've got a quite a long dry spell going right now. But I'll tell you what, though, I had a lot of occur- occurrences last year and this year. Yeah. It's just e- either they were too too young or the shot wasn't there. It's just something that it just comes with it. But I... Once I got that buck, man, it's like my – I don't really have the buck fever anymore. I just like to being out there and being in the now because with where I hunt at here in the Driftless area, I don't have service. So it's like I, I download my podcast when I'm going to go out there. I have one earbud in, and I got the other one all going back and forth, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. No, I think some of – some of uh, you know, I, I rifle hunted as well growing up, but I've always been a bow hunter, and I think it was really like whatever the opportunity was. So if – you know, bow, bow season opens up early. I'm going to be out there with a bow. Um, you know, and where we hunt, you really, really limit uh, your, your success rate with um, with a bow. So, you know, rifle was most of uh, growing up. And then, as you said, after a while, it, it just kind of loses some of the, the, the luster to it. And, um, you know, now it's, you know, that's all I take out in the, in the woods with me is, is a bow. Yeah, don't blame us. So- Moving on to the next thing is like, so what got you motivated to actually start doing technical videos for, for archery? Yeah. So I've always been into uh, photography, um, even at a, a young age. So my stepfather, he was, uh, well, my mom's an art teacher. My stepfather uh, at, at the time was an art teacher and he was more into photography. And I remember them buying me a camera. And this was like 35 millimeter, like film. You actually would go in a dark room, produce it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're that old. Yeah. Yes, I get it. Yeah, yeah that's my first camera too. <laughs> so he did, uh, he did some like high school photography classes and he let me come to a couple of them. 
and you learn about, you know, lighting composition and some of that. So it, it's always kind of like been ingrained. And um, whenever I was traveling a lot, I bought, you know, my first, you know, nice camera and started just taking like travel pictures and those types of things. And it was really around COVID when I stopped traveling for work <laughs> that uh, I'm like, all right, well, what do I take pictures of? And it's like, well, I just, I don't know why then, but it was a light bulb went off that, you know, man, I actually could take pictures of a lot of the cool stuff I do in the woods and, and, and all that. That's really, that's, that's something that's always been, uh, uh, always a drive for me too. I always like taking pictures. I have, uh, like as well as, as you can tell, Instagram, I've got a lot of fun pictures that I've taken over the years and such. Should have taken the picture of yesterday. I got home after hunting, got out of all my gear. I'm going to the bathroom and I had a blood, I, I got pricked by one of those little rose lawn or what is it? A little thorny bush ones like that, but it's like it, it came up high enough so it, it caught me here and I had a stream of blood in my beard. I had no idea it was there. That's a that's a it's like, picture. That's a that's a that's a like you know you could you could put that on your uh, your profile, you know, with blood running down. That's wicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well that's one of uh, Johnny Mulligan's pictures that he posted last year. He got himself got a car probably caught caught on uh, a trade limb or something. Because uh if you were if I were taking where I was hunting at, it's like I you had uh, buck brush all over it's like that that thick nettles and all that oh, fun yeah. stuff that's like i have to i don't think it's a rose brush rob i got some i got a, a gentleman is actually my father-in-law in my uh youtube chat not a rose bush it's just i won't even say it wouldn't be a raspberry thing it's just a weird random uh, vine that actually grows thorns it's it's quite ridiculous but where i if where i show you where i hunt at it's like you, you have all this all over the place i actually have to triple layer my pants so this way then it's like, like those when those thorns come through i can plow through it because otherwise it'll get down there i'll take it on my pants and i got blood all over the plush all over the place because it just just uh grazes all over my uh my fat my uh thighs the worst ones like you have to really be thoughtful on what you're going to wear yeah uh, for your top, for your, your, your top layer. Cause coming, going through some of this, I, I don't, I don't, since I go through some very thick stuff to get after some bucks, I don't want to buy Sitka gear or any of that stuff. Cause that's, I mean, that's two, 300 yeah. bucks for one coat. So I'm still rocking some old, uh, uh, scent blocker stuff from a few years ago. Like scent blocker has a distribution center up in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. And if you hit their garage sales, it's like the first weekend of October, you can get some stupid deals on their, their swapping from their, from that year, the current year to yeah. the new year stuff. And it's just amazing. So I use, I just wear the, I just use that stuff because it's like, I, it still works. It still keeps me warm. I get to go from there. The only thing now is I've, like, I've upgraded to getting uh, heated socks and a heated vest and hot hands. So I tend to, uh, I've just, I've just, when you spend that much time out in the, out in the wilderness, that stuff doubles, you just, it's worth the investment. No, definitely. I, I, I mean, obviously anybody looks at my profile knows I love gear more than anybody else. Um, so like, so when it's that thick, I mean, you've got to be like pretty mindful of like what you shoot. Like when, when you do kill, like you're, you're getting through some, or to get it out. I mean, you're, you're dealing with some heavy stuff, right? Oh man, it's, 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 it's a pain in the butt because it's like you, because in the back of your mind, it's like, how far back am I? How far, how high in the elevation am I? Do I want to lug the son of a gun way out or not? Right. And it's like, 
But if you're all the way back, that's where you're going to find your biggest bucks. It's like they're going to be in the shit that nobody wants to deal with, and that's where it's all at. And the great part is, is like I have a good network of friends out here. It's like, well, we if somebody shoots something, it's like just give me a call. I have a buddy of mine that uh, his name is Ryan Woodhouse, and him and I went and shot um, the Beast Mode Archery games, and that was a we that that was a bondage or bond in made in uh, blood, sweat, and tears because it was we started uh, z- uh, zero elevation, go up to six thousand, and come back down that's uphill and then downhill so it was definitely a uh, trial of uh, patience but then it's like i shot a doe here back in october i shot her front forward and so i didn't i so i, I put it where i want an arrow where I, where I wanted to go but i, I think that it's just how the arrow traveled that set moved forward and hit the little dead spot in the in the front right above the right front of the heart there and so he came out and he helped me look for her and so I, every time i see him as like, hey dude let me know if you you get something i'll be out there to help you out because he just got done with uh was it appendix surgery he had he had some surgery go oh gallbladder there it is so it's like well i will i will help you drag it out will you just carry your bow because we were out there like when i shot my doe we tracked her for 300 yards and we were all going downhill tons of blood everywhere and then she goes across this creek slash pond and then we lost her at this open field and that's the worst thing you can have because a deer out here like well anywhere if they're getting that dead sprint something like that it'll pack that blood in there and you get nothing else yeah. and we we stopped we Brought on, we brought another guy in, help us look. We were out there until oh, about 10, 30, 11, and we just kind of gave up. So my wife and I went out uh, Sunday morning, and then it's like I, for S&Gs, I decided to go uphill because, like, well, why would an injured animal go uphill? We figured it would t- go, dart back and yeah. go up where it, where it once was or bed down someplace close. Yeah. And found it 80 yards uphill, and then it's like I tracked it all the way to the road, and it's like she ran into another property and up the bluffs. And it's like, well, she's going to survive. So it's just one of those things where you can practice all season long, and something out of left field can happen to you. You just don't know. That's you know that, that's bow hunting, and it's funny. I was just talking to to another guy. He's in Ohio right before this, and uh, we we're just talking about some of the you know trials and tribulations of archery hunting, and you know. I started bow hunting, you know, in my, you know, middle school, high school and made a bunch of stupid, you know, mistakes then, which I've, you know, learned, try not to do, they still happen uh, from time to time. Right. But, um, you know, a lot of them are like learning it, you know, in their late twenties and thirties and like, they're really, you know, getting down on themselves. And I'm like, guys, this is, this is part of the experience and, and, you know, part of how you, how you take that situation, you get better from it, but it happens. Yeah, you don't you don't lose until you decide to quit, and that's when you hang up your bow and never go back after. Man, I just I love it. It's a great way to deal with your stresses from work, stress from society. Like, and I found like with working with HHA USA, the veterans that participate in this, they come out like finding a whole new family. They feel themselves reinvigorated. Uh, listening to some of the stories from Chris that there were like, they got, he got uh, one, one of the veterans who was talking about that was invited out on a turkey hunt. And if he didn't go on the turkey hunt, he was going to bite the bullet that day. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've, yeah. And it's amazing how like something like that will be so profound and change their entire perspective. No, I think, I think that is, that is absolutely awesome. And, and I'd agree. I mean, the out, the outlet that you get, uh, again, it just takes you back to human nature. And I think there's something settling and satisfying, um, you know, uh, about it. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, with, with veterans that, you know, have served and have PTSD and those types of things, like it, it takes a piece of you away. There's, there's pieces of you that get taken away through experiences. Um, and I think that, 
getting back in the outdoors and, 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 you know, getting back into communities and socializing with other people that starts to replace and give back what, what some of those experiences took away. I think so. I think this is why a lot of, a lot of folks get back into it. And it's great that that people do, because it doesn't matter if you, whether you, well, you've served in the military or if you're a police officer, EMS, or even just a, a guy in the street. And we, we all have different traumatic instances that we don't know how to deal with. Like when I, when I was going through and recovering, like when I was dealing with my addictions was one of the loss of my son 20 years ago. Now um, I didn't, I didn't, I went the wrong direction. And then it's like, then I found then I fell back in love with paintball where I was playing it like every single week. And, but it's that, that physical exertion, the camaraderie around it and getting yourself out of your own headspace. Yeah. No, it's fulfillment. Uh, you get out of it. And, you know, I think that's too, my goal with, with, you know, the kids is keep them busy, especially my son who has more energy than, than anyone I've ever met is to keep him, you know, in a direction, in a, in a kind of a healthy direction in the woods and outdoors. I'd rather invest in whatever he needs to, to be in the woods, you know, rather than, than, uh, you know, the opposite. So. That's the thing that I've seen that has been a, a downside for like when, when kids go into it, I don't know if you ever heard of this book, it's called uh, no more Mr. Nice guy wrote, it came out like 2003. Mm around it's new york bestseller but what it is it talks about the breakdown of how boys are interacting inter in it like when they go from from home to preschool to to uh, first to third middle school and high school they are all inundated with a lot of feminine energy and a lot of that feminine energy it, it tends they want to suppress it or they want to get put on adderall because i mean we're, we're kids from the 90s so we had adderall and and uh, uh was it legalized methamphetamines or cocaine and stuff like that? Now we have Adderall and it's like, I think we've lost the aspect for boys because boys are, are rambunctious. They, they learn through doing, they, they scrape their knees, they break their bones, stuff like that, but that's how they do it. Now, yeah. how you handle a young child, a young boy going from being at home and then going to school and stuff like that, or if you're lucky enough to be able to homeschool, that's a, that's a real, that's a real way to get an, an ROI or investment is being able to do that. But it just, They've, they, the kids have so much energy, but they don't have a chance to, to get rid of it. Yep. Like they're all they're where we've begun the programming of them becoming employees. They, yep. they have an eight hour day, <laughs> they get two breaks and a lunch. Yep. If you notice that that's not how school should be done. School should be like, I know Europe has adopted where they purposely have brought back outdoor activities and they spend hours outside instead of just a few minutes. Yep. And I think that's what really will change the whole acronym. I mean, that's why we've kind of fallen from the, from being top of our education system now we're in the mid 50s we're getting lower than that now i mean hell the the military to reduce their um academic standards because they were getting too dumb of students to come in wow yeah so the funny it's funny you mentioned that so we uh uh i worked for two years in finland who has one of the best education systems in the world and so our kids when we when we were there one was two and one was eight and yeah um they spent I mean, and the weather, keep in mind, the, the weather in Finland, if you drew, you know, or if you look at the latitude line, it's Alaska, right? The weather is, okay. never, yes. is never optimal. It's, it, you know, it's always cold. Um, you know, it's summertime, it, it, it's nice, but most of the time it's cold, it's rainy, it's snowy. Um, and it just didn't matter. I mean, the Finns kind of taught us that there's, you know, no, no bad weather, just bad gear. And those kids would be outside. I mean, they took them outside and they would do like exploratory type of field trip type things and um, let the kids kind of experience life a little bit. It was amazing. We were scared because 
we saw our little two-year-old walking down, you know, a city uh, sidewalk on a little rope and there's cars going by and everything else. And the amount of trust the adults would put into the kids just to do the right things and kind of experience things was amazing. And um, that kind of opened our minds to like, wow, we really baby our kids sometimes, I think, in the U.S. Um, you know, what, what I see now um, with just in school and society that like these kids are much more capable than we give them credit for. Let them experience things. Let them, uh, you know, go, like you said, go, go, get a, go get a bump or a bruise or a scratch. And I think as long as they're doing dangerous things and, you know, under uh, supervision, I think that's the best way of learning. That's uh, that's a really good sentiment there. Dr. Jordan Peterson talks about that, like yep. watching kids doing things dangerously, but with the, like carefully, it's like, you got to let them do that. Right. It's like, that's how I learned. I and mean, that's how I, I was, I was very lucky growing up that my parents were able to get a uh, small acreage out in the forest or out in the woods. And then uh, I, I blew, I, I was, we were, well, at the time we, we, there's major changes, but when my mom and my dad were still married together, we lived out in the country. But I think that is a very, uh, positive environment for boys and girls to be because it's like we gr I grew up with an imagination absolutely and these kids these nowadays like uh, they they need instruction manuals they need to like they need to be told how to have fun and it's and <laughs> yeah. it's just I've seen that with my daughter it's like I'd like I give her some Legos or some connects mm -hmm. and she needs instructions yeah where's the YouTube video <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, and it's like I I treat YouTube as a reward for her to do it because it's like I don't want her being glued to it and stuff like that. And yeah. uh, the early this summer, she she has a tablet that her parents, her her mom or stepdad got her and stuff like that. And day one, she got it taken away. She's like she hopped on TikTok and started talking to people. And like yeah. this is where we got we we this is where the grooming conversation comes in. This is where pedophiles come into play. Yeah. Like this type of conversation, like when we were growing up in the nineties, there was, this doesn't happen. Yeah. Now it's like, no, they're everywhere. And it's like, when you look at all the States per capita, like Wisconsin is number five per capita. I think we have like some like 500 per 100,000 residents. That's how many pedophiles we have. Yeah. Wow. And we have, we have several, we have, and then, they, but then you go out to Oregon, it's like almost 700 per 100,000. It's even worse. It's like, man, we need to treat these like dogs. It's like, we need to put them down and put them on sleep. You know, it's pretty easy to, to do some very mean things and look the other way. Yeah. Now we live like where we're at. It's kind of like, I think one of the last little strongholds that we have of, you know, what used to be, um, you know, we have a group of friends and our kids go play at the Creek. They go fishing, they, they go hunting and, um, we, I was out uh, fishing with a, with a friend of mine and, you know, he was watching my son on the boat and we're out, you know, we're out pretty far deep sea fishing. And, um, he's just watching my little eight-year-old at the time run around on the boat and he's casting and tying knots and whatever. And he's like, damn, Stuart, your boy's going to be all right. hundred <laughs> percent, man. <laughs> Oh, that is so true. Because it's like if you're able to get them into those 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 techniques and those trainings and stuff like that, that they're just going to be able to go for like. And what I, I, I keep on like I I, uh, I tell guys is like like if you have if you have a daughter and stuff like you get her in the outdoors and she's big in the outdoors that rung that ring gets bigger and and her collection of firearms get bigger. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. You know, because like my wife hunts, she fishes, and so and I asked her, "What do you want for a wedding ring?" It's like, uh, and she wants, "I want a gun." It's like all right what gun do you want it's like pick anyone you want price there's no price limit on she went with a a, a sig p320 because she was working at uh, gander mountain at the time and right. she fell in love with it fits her hand she shoots like a champ with it so i was like 
done, son. That was, that was the best. That's the, that's the best investment because not only is she can she can sell it, she can pawn it, and she can she can provide with it. Yeah, that, that's funny. So my my wife, uh, very outdoorsy too. Uh, she loved to fish, and um, in fact, she was six months pregnant with my son. Uh, uh, one of the first times I took her hunting, and <laughs> yeah, and she's out there, you know, waddling around with it, and you know, absolutely loves it. She shoots bow and and can can shoot really really well uh so uh very blessed that's that's a big that's that's it's just it's nice to be able to marry your best friend to be able to go out and do that stuff and my i got my wife a a magnifier a 4x magnifier and her confidence is through the roof she's dropping arrows at 60 yards now it's like it's just like oh it's fucking awesome yeah that's cool i think you know having a, a partner that supports you know the outdoors is is in you know all of our endeavors it takes a definitely a strong woman because you know I'm gone or um, I'm gone for work and then I'm gone for hunting and you know she's can't be more encouraging you know to go do those things because she understands those things and I, I think that's important. That is a hundred percent. You know I, I don't. I, it, it, this is kind of uh, off topic here, but I've noticed that like if you like I'm a fire sign, I'm a, I'm a Sagittarius, and my wife is a Gemini, and she's a wind one. So it's like that. It's it's weird in how that personality trait goes hand in hand because I'm a, I'm a, I'm like a very brunt like let's get this done let's go after it like I respect I respect loyalty I respect people that say what they're going to do and get it done and then it's like and then she just kind of like she pushes me to do it. it's like I mean look at my I got I got camera I have all this stuff right here I got tons of it's 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 just remarkable and plus on top of that too for Christmas she's buying me a truck and so it's like it's it's just kind of like it was one of those things where it's like the need and meat came at the right time of Christmas time. So it's like, yeah, let's, let's, let's call it a Christmas gift. I'm not going to argue with that logic. That's awesome. Yeah. So we uh, were having our anniversary, November 17th. And I, she accidentally sent me a text that she shouldn't have um, <laughs> in, a, in an innocent way. Uh, but it was, um, so when I was out West, I went out there with my, my, my Glock 23, you know, for bears or whatever, which is a 40, right? And um, mm-hmm. the guide out there was like, yeah, that's cute. But, uh, you know, he's, he's got like a G20, you know, 10 mil. And um, he's like, this is this is what what we carry. So I came back, tell my wife about it. And um, she remembered it. And I have a G20 on the way. So. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I was I sent my buddy. Uh, I don't remember what state it was, but there was a guy that you had an X10 from because SIG just released an, a updated profile model of their their x10 or their, their 10 millimeter yep. and i sent him pictures like look at this it's like he shot this massive four by four or five by five elk and with a 10 millimeter wow yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a legal caliber out there to use it's like like go for it man i didn't know that yeah it's a, it's a brute brute of a caliber so Oh yeah, two hundred and forty some grains of like that. It's just ridiculous. Okay. I carry uh, like a rut holsters. Uh, they're based out of Colorado, and I got um, a their their holster that has and I got it. It's two position Molly holster. I can either go underneath my bino arms or I can go uh, horizontal with it, and. I've been carrying everywhere I go because around here in Wisconsin we have bears, yeah. and so what I carry in that it's it's a seventeen or seventeen plus one, hundred and forty seven grain, uh, full metal jackets. It's like I need to put as many holes as possible, <laughs> and so you know I just yeah. but it, it, the holster though, I was when I was tracking that deer. I mean I was crouching over like literally my chest was touching my knees to try to get underneath and track where the blood was and going up and down the tree uh going up and down tree stands like i never i've never had i didn't, I didn't have to worry about it banging up against this shameless plug but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a i'm a gear guy too yeah. so but it's 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 a 
well-designed holster. Yep. I got it in the, uh, he did a custom, Chase did a, a custom design for me. I put my logo on it, man. It is, it is something else. And I also rock uh, T and, hunt, and K hunting gear. So these guys, uh, retired police, ex-military, badass gear and stuff like that. All made in America and stuff like that. A little spendy, but it's like it's made in America. It's not like assembled in America like some of them, but it's just one of those things where like that high quality gear, yeah. really shines when you're in stressful scenarios. And, like, that's something that puts in the back of my mind because I was up hunting up in New Eau Claire, mm -hmm. and the guy, but I was home, like, I knew there was bear up in the area. But he was like, yeah, we have a boar and we have a sow. And, like, and sure enough, like, where I put up my trail cam, uh, about a week later, Wednesday night, here comes a sow and two cubs. It's like, oh, boy. There you go. Right. Luckily, I wasn't hunting that stand. I was, I was, I was only hunting the stand like 80 yards just to the south of that stand. It's like, wow, this is, this is, this is tough. This is tough. This is tight stuff here. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I've, I've seen the rut holsters. I, I guess uh, holsters the next thing. I want to, like you said, it goes, I guess, under your your bino harness. I got like a marsupial harness, so you can just. Yeah, they have, they have one. They have a, uh, a uh, spot there for underneath it. Yeah, yeah. So I'll have to, I'll have to look into that. I've, I've got Colorado planned already for, for next year, so. I'll be back out for sure. Oh, definitely. Are you doing a elk hunt or pronghorn or mule deer? Yeah. So right now I've got elk na nailed down. Um, I'd love to do another pronghorn um, hunt, uh, but have not nailed that down uh, yet. So, but, but yeah, I'll, I'll be out there a couple of times. Very cool, man. So uh, definitely check out those guys out there. And what, what I liked about him is that he actually had an X5 Legion from Sing, and it's not a very popular caliber to carry outside of uh, what's a competition shooting because that's their out-of-the-box go-to gun for for competition shooters, but it's it shoots so nice. comes with a, a 14 or a 12-pound spring you can swap them in and out it's one is one two world world championships so it's a very very high efficient firearm you just got to get used to that slap or it's it's a tool that you have to it's either you like them or you don't like them right like what's now do you you're are you a glock guy through and through or are you just like whatever tool fits the best in your hand honestly so i, I used i used to shoot walther i had a sig uh once i moved to glock i kind of it, it's not that they feel great, overly great. They were just super reliable. Once I got used to the trigger, which I'm not that big of a fan of, to be honest with you, um, <laughs> it was hard for me to transition between different firearms. So I just now I have all locks because the triggers are all the same trigger. So it makes perfect sense. I'm the same way too. Like we have, uh, we have two SIGs. We have this uh, Smith and Wesson. Um, I have a little uh, Browning 22. So it's like, I, I got big hands. So it's like, for me, I kind of have to play in, in perspective where my trigger lands. So I, I shoot, I shoot a lot. And so I kind of, I've kind of got trained out of like how to have to worry about the slap and stuff. And I put that, that, that process of when I grab the grip, when I grab the pistol, place my, my trigger on it and pull it and stuff like that. It's kind of like when you would your shot placement with your arrow. It's like yeah. you, you, you go through the whole sequence. Right. And when you're ready, when you're all lined up, you're ready to rock and roll. Cause it's like, it's, I was talking to my um, buddy that owns the talk snap and we we're talking about like, how much time do you actually spend looking through your peep? It's like, that's actually the last thing I, I even put in my mind. It's like, first goes the arrow, then it goes my release. And then I think then I bring it back, get that little anchor spot right here. And then, then I bring my, then I, then I bring my air, my eye in. Yeah. <laughs> and then and it's like, and then I want some, want some level up, pull that trigger. 
send it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've got, you know, a few different bows and I'm meticulous or I'll, I'll have to be set up the exact same way. Uh, same peep, same distance with the, uh, the site, you know, how far I'm running the site out, et cetera. Um, I, uh, I like it all the same. Oh, yeah, that's why everything I shoot is it was HHA. I have a true fire, true ball, and a hot shot. And now I, I actually have a new expedition bow. So it's same draw, same everything, like same rest. Uh, I'll be shooting the 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 PS 23s and stuff like that. They're going to go with the thicker shafts for, for 3D, search, uh, 3D archery here after I'm done hunting. So I, I don't know if I'm going to – if I don't get my buck, I'm going to be hunting in, into January. So I'm – or at least fill, fill some tags and such. And then – because right now we got gun season comes up uh, this weekend. So it's rifle season. It goes from this weekend all the way until Thanksgiving, then Thanksgiving, and then it, got, then it comes my birthday, and then I'll be going – that will be muzzleloader, and then we have a couple holiday hunts and stuff like that. So, again, I have to pick and choose where I'm going to go for um, – uh, for bow hunting, but I, I'll figure it all out. Hopefully I can connect on a doe. And if not, you know, I'll eat tag soup. I'm, I'm, I'm humble enough for it. I got the chance to go out there to hunt and stuff like that had opportunities, but it's just like, I'd either, like I said, too young or, or they had, well, I had one doe, beautiful doe, but perfect to, to take, but she had a, she had a fawn in tow. Yeah, man. We, and then we've got tons. Every doe has a fawn. That was the hard time, you know, trying to get my son on, on which one is, and they're all twins. I mean, we, they, they had a, no kid had a phenomenal year in, in terms of, uh, um, you know, what, what they, what they, they bred. I mean, it was, we had probably 15 deer out and, you know, probably six fawns, <laughs> most of them twins. Man, that is impressive though. It's like, but then again, in the back of your mind, it's like, she isn't that, that doe, those does are known to go into estrus twice. It's like, I don't pull her off of that because that's guaranteed reproduction. So that tells me you have good food, you have good shelter and you have water. Okay. And then it's like, and if you, ha if you have that pretty much that trifecta, you're going to go to go like, uh, uh, my buddy, Brian, uh, Austin, he's the, uh, creator of beast mode. He actually was out hunting here two weeks ago up in a the saddle and he all of a sudden he just here's this parade of leaves just kicking over it was a sow with five cubs wow yeah wow. yeah so it's like she is what they what uh they call a super sow and it's like that is like a crazy thing to, to achieve in the wild especially when boars are known to be cannibalistic absolutely absolutely i'm surprised hadn't had one or two gone <laughs> That's my thought too. So they, they do exist here in Wisconsin and uh, they, they become like a, a prize animal to maintain their integrity. Cause we, that's like, they're like, it is a taboo thing to hunt said animal. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's kind of like with, uh, with albinos and stuff like that. And that's where it's, albinos are, are one of those things that are, are rare and stuff like that too and people think that it's like oh it's a rare majestic animal it's like no it's just it, they're, they're the bottom rung of poor genetics yeah it's, it's the it's the recessive of the recessive gene <laughs> yeah that's what we want to shoot but it's like uh, hunters that i've talked to they'll never shoot shoot a true albino yeah. but they'll shoot a piebald or they'll shoot a white deer and so and those are they'll all have clear characteristics that can pay attention because if you're going to see what if i see a white deer i'm going to be looking at its nose and its eyes are they are they pink yeah or, or, or the colored because it's like I will, I will gladly drop one. Like uh, Chris Ham actually had one on his pop. He has a, I'm not sure if it's a piebald or if it's a just a white deer or it could be albino. The the camera that he had on it doesn't really give really good definitive uh, d uh, d details of it. But it's like that's pretty cool to actually see that on your property because it's always like a, 
you could call it a good omen or it could, it's, 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 it's that spiritual realm because it's like a lot of you it goes back into the the superstition of a white animal it's like it's a spirit animal you don't you don't want to touch it it's like it's like because it can yeah. not necessarily will bring bad juju but it's like in your mind though what you like murphy's law it's like if you if you was it murphy's law there's, there's another there's another Pro, another thought process on it where it's another law of things where if you if you dream your your worst things to happen you're going to have that happen to you yeah. like whether it be like divorce or, or car accident or DUI or random things like that if you keep that's why it's like uh, law of attraction or the, whatever yeah exactly and plus your mind casts spells so if you're if you're constantly telling yourselves this right here you're eventually your mind is going to make it happen uh, and I'll tell you what, positive, positive thinking and your thoughts and, and what you put in your head, I think, uh, absolutely, uh, can, can, can affect you. Oh yeah. hundred percent, man. So now I was going to go with it because I was going to ask you some questions regarding your, your photography, but we've got, we've touched upon that, but what, uh, what has been some of your your struggles or what have you used to actually produce some of your videos because your videos are very clean your transitions are great you use you use uh fitting music for them for them probably so what did you what were some of the uh steps you took to get where you're at today with some of your videos because they're doing thousand thirty five thousand views per videos which is impressive yeah uh thanks um yeah so i would say first off was uh, a lot of youtube watching prior <laughs> so i think you know there, there's a lot of really good examples out there of what of what's clean what's attractive you know what's not um and then from there it was you know i already had kind of a good idea in terms of lighting and photography and that and tried to kind of transition over into video and and that type of thing and um i have to say the video piece to me takes a ton, ton more work than I ever thought uh, in terms of trying to edit and get things to flow. Um, so, you know, from there it's getting in and I'm kind of a, you know, I don't really wait for instruction or anything. I, I, I'm more of jump in and do it and trial by, you know, fire type of thing. And, um, you know, so I, I had, uh, you know, I think a, a program on my Mac that I used to edit the first couple and then did a little more research and, um, you know, use, uh, I think Adobe, uh, rush or rush premiere or something like that. Premiere is what, yeah. what, what, um, what my, uh, what I've, I don't use it, but I know people that use it. That's what it is. The best way to go is that particular premiere because, yeah. because it's easier to, it, it, it does have a steep learning curve because it's like, cause Adobe tends to overcomplicate something that shouldn't be that complicated. Okay. And it's like, you need a big screen because I've worked in it and it's like your space gets small real fast, especially when you're putting different layers in there, Absolutely. like trying to, to do a 10 second clip for our, uh, our OD podcast. It takes about an average, like 40 minutes to do one clip and that's 10 seconds. Yeah, no, I, I don't doubt it. I mean, I spend, Sometimes my wife is like, what the hell are you doing in there? <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm trying to put together, you know, a few more minutes uh, of, a, of a video. But but yeah, I think it's just getting in and playing it. And then, you know, I don't put something out unless um, I feel good about it is the other thing. I mean, you could throw together a, a you know, crappy video and there's plenty out there to 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 watch and probably get it done a lot quicker. But um you know, I just try to make it clean. And, and I do, you have a good point with like Adobe trying to make things complicated or complex. It, I try to make it as simple as possible. I don't have a million different layers. I don't, you know, try to do anything too fancy, but it's really keep it simple. The other thing 
I try to do is the speaking parts that I do on my, my YouTube is take it in one shot. Um, I don't like to break up and have to patch together certain things, which is a lot of pressure whenever you're doing it. Um, but it makes the whole editing process uh, a lot faster. So that's a hundred percent true with, with at least with audio. When I do my podcast, I don't edit anything. I will go through and I'll amplify the audio. So this way then it's like, my forethought is like when I put together a podcast, which is changed from uh, my friend, John Dove, it's like, we were talking about us elk hunting. I told him I, I'm going to try something new with your podcast. And you know, cause my idea is, is like, I want people to be able to listen to the podcast over the roar of a de- diesel engine. Whether it be a 6.2 liter diesel or a semi, because that's why I want to put my. Because if I, if you do that, if you if you have that type of focus in it, headset, Bluetooth, audio, or car, yeah, you you already got that in the bag. Yeah, I think it, that's the audio is probably was the biggest learning curve I have is because I just used whatever was on the camera the first time. And I'm like, Holy moly, that sounds like crap <laughs> or you can't hear it. And then like you try to edit it up and, and bring up, you know, what you can. And then all you're doing is like enhancing crappy audio. So, uh, you know, invested in, you know, some mics and stuff. And even for podcasts now that I've started doing, I, you know, I've, I've bought an actual mic and, you know, uh, I, I think that's super important because you, you could have the best looking video and then just junk audio and you can't use any of it. Exactly right. That's why like what I why I did all the do the due diligence with Zoom because that's why I told you like turn your 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 original sound for musicians on because then that then because then you can it produces a better quality auto. I uh, use a Canon EOS uh, M200 for my video, which is uh, YouTube turn translates into 720p, but I have my uh, S21 Ultra for my yeah instagram so it's like all these different things where like you really you really put a lot of forethought when you're actually going to be investing a thousand dollars into a camera oh yeah no absolutely and i so i just went to a full frame camera it's, it's sitting right here but i went with sony uh a7 and i didn't realize oh, that's a good camera i didn't realize all the coolness that it has i mean you know even when we were getting set up here you're like oh yeah you can stream from there and all that and i've seen the setting i've just never used it so um to youtube next time yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> but that's the because because like you right now you're using whatever camera you have on there so like it's it's going to actually play pay for itself in the end but if you, if you really want to get in some fun cameras check out those black magics okay dude yeah dude those that 6k that 6k is something else but that. you you can't it doesn't really anything above 4k on uh, YouTube, it's like, you're really not getting yeah. anything out of it. But if you're really, it's like, that's, that's where we're going to be heading after 4k is that 6k. And it's, it's something pretty, but boy, those cameras are six grand in the low end. Well, that you probably need, a, you know, even this camera, whenever I upgraded, like my Mac, I have a MacBook pro, it's not that old, but like, I can tell it's, it's working a lot harder than it used to. Um, so I imagine it's 6k and stuff, but it's probably just massive file sizes. Oh, definitely. You're going to have to go actually spend some time and like get a, a, a least two or three, st- uh, uh, two or three terabyte hard drive. Yeah. And then you're going to have to really pay attention to how much RAM your motherboard can get. It's going to come down to customizing your own, uh, desktop for it because laptops you can get away with some of the alienware stuff yeah but your real customization is is in a, in a pc yeah yeah for sure for sure 
man, you're a techie just like me. <laughs> oh, I, 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 my days got into uh, computer games back in 97. So I've been inside the guts of a computer for almost 30 years. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've built my fair shares of computers. I've had um, gone through several laptops, learning what I can and can't get away with and stuff like that. Now it's like I have to, I have to upgrade my hard drives because when I'm rendering down even audio, a file can get up to almost during the, the, the process of it the file can get to almost 20 gigs and it's like that can eat and uh, i still have i have a, a 250 no i have 150 uh gig hard drive in my laptop and that's not enough because of some of these files that are like i'll have convert i don't ever put a time limit on it because these are conversations not interviews yeah. so i've had i've had uh, like paul otten from advanced outdoor technologies three hour long podcast i had the the Methodically, if you want to look, learn somebody how to learn how to write from is Al Quackenbush. That guy knows how to write, but he also knows how to talk. He does a we. I was I just asked him questions about doing a loading and reloading for firearms stuff like that. Yeah. And we did a three-hour podcast, and we only got through like a, not even half of it for considering how much more you can go into. And we we did a pretty. He did a really good job of hitting a lot of things. So we just got to do a part two, which is making everything hit up because he's been traveling for hunting. He's yeah. been doing a great. I mean, that guy, he's like, you go to his um his blog, the SoCal, SoCal Bow Hunter. Yep. And he's he's been writing for 15 years. He gets invitations to go to SHOT Show now. So in, in, and almost, almost, I'm not sure if it's all expense paid, but he gets to spend the entire week out there in las vegas at shot show man goals <laughs> oh the, 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 you tell me man he's like but he's 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 putting the time for it very good writer and stuff like that he was even gave uh aaron ritter a uh, breakdown like on how to accept uh uh was a paper so like because he said try to keep it around a thousand words or so right. for for the conversation for it because he, he the limitless outdoors is a grant program that what it does is it basically sets up a hunter with an entire set set up Nice, and then they got other sponsors to donate stuff, and so it's for, for the grant though. It's like you, it doesn't doesn't matter if you're a hunter or EMS. It's like anybody that is that is a hand, that has lost a limb qualifies for it. That's cool. That's so cool. Yeah, I think it's, it's just it's absolutely beautiful, and it's like they started it last year, and so they're, they're, and then this year they're the the. They're going to start staking applications here starting January because the whole idea is that they want to get every get all their get everybody pick, get the winner picked out, get them the bow, get them to a shop, get everything all customized, and get them get them hunting or get them shooting, get them prepared for a hunt that fall. Because I think that he's probably working with some folks that are going to be able to get him get that winner on hunts, whether it be a whitetail or an elk or mule deer, whatever whatever somebody's willing to donate to be able to get that hunter and get that person into the outdoors man see that's that's where i think uh like hearing that that that's awesome because i think you know a lot of times you know you have somebody set up with a bow or a rifle or whatever and you give them gear and they're like okay then what like getting out and teaching them and you know there's some there's some cool organizations i think nodens i've seen does some some pretty cool stuff out west and and all that um you know teaching like how like okay how do you, how do you find, how do you locate? Okay. How do you kill? Okay. Once you kill, okay. How do you field dress it? You know, so going through the whole process, I mean, there's just so much that, um, that has to be done and, and, um, you know, taking them through the experience to me is, is probably the most important thing. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Because especially when you're shooting, let's say we'll use whitetail just because it's what we have a common knowledge for. So when it comes down to removing the scent glands out of the, out of the joints, stuff like that, and out of the meats, out of the out of the quads, but also when you're when you shoot a harvest a buck, you have to make sure you don't cut the the sack where the urine's at. If you do that, you can ruin your meat. And then also like, well, you getting breaking the, that uh, uh, their their pelvic bone, opening that up and stuff like that, cutting through that. So like, you can, some people could forget about that. Then you got to pull out the intestines to g make sure you remove all of the, the feces that it comes through. Then, and then also preparing them for a gut shot and like how nasty it smells. Yeah. Like I was, like, for some other reason, like I can gut a gut shot, any animal, yeah. but when it comes down to vomit, I'm out. I can't do vomit. <laughs> same I here. cannot do vomit. You know, my wife says the same thing. She's like, okay, you know, like, so we've got a dog, okay, you know, the dog throws up or something. And I'm, I'm over there just like, I can't deal with it. I'm like, you know, gagging. And, and she's like, so you'll sit there and you'll, you'll clean an 800 pound animal with no problem. But this little bit of puke on the floor bothers you. Like, oh, Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jeff says so too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, it's, it's, it's a mind, it's a mind messer. You know, you don't, you don't, it's, there's, it's something with the nasal and then that your, your trauma experience in your back of your mind. I think that's why we're, we're, we're men flourish in some aspects where women first flourish in other ones like my wife when my daughter gets sick she'll she'll handle the vomit stuff like that but when when my daughter was going changing all the diapers like what cleaning and messy diaper was not a big deal it's like to me it's like yeah it's fine yeah i mean i've i've, I've cleaned gut shot deer and like i've cleaned it's like this is this is walking the park yeah so <laughs> funny story so my wife was out of town and i think the dog threw up or so, something happened that was really gross and um uh, she, you know, she wasn't there to help. And I'm like, all right, I got to figure out how to do this. So I'm looking around, I go out in the garage. And, uh, so my wife and I got into free diving, like spear fishing down here. Oh, awesome. And, um, so I went outside and got my mask and snorkel and like came in and like took a picture and had the bag and gloves. I'm like, all right, I'm ready for war now. <laughs> I'm ready for war. Let's go. <laughs> That's the only way I can do it, man. Oh, I, I'm right there with you. So I didn't know you got into free diving spear fishing, dude. Tell me about that because I've seen the episode on uh, Meat Eater though. That the, the last year's season when they're out in Hawaii, it's like yeah. that is some cool shit. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, so we've always so we've got an offshore boat and we go fishing and stuff like that. Um, you know, right here, you know, snapper fishing and all that around reefs. Yeah, is, uh, pretty popular. But um, not too far from here is um, a really cool free diving school and, and um, you know, they take people out and stuff. So we went, my wife and I went and took a weekend and you don't have to go get certified or anything like that because there's no tanks or anything, but there is a high degree of, you know, things that can go wrong. So there's some safety aspects and all. And if you want to dive with them or dive, go to the Bahamas and dive with a guide or whoever, you typically have to have at least a class one free diving uh, certification. So she and I went and did that. And um, that was a cool, another cool thing. You know, my wife is such a gamer, man. She, uh, she went and, you know, got in the Gulf with me. And I mean, there's freaking sharks and stuff. I remember, so you go down class one is uh, you're down. I don't know. I think it's like 70 feet or something like that, which is pretty far. And oh yeah. That's, that's a lot. That's, that's deep enough for bad things to happen. Oh, absolutely. So uh, the, how they certify it is you, you have to go, you know, all the way down and there's a weight at the bottom. They're kind of have a float at the top of the water and a weight at the bottom. And the instructor's kind of watching you and following you all the way down. And I remember when I went down on my first dive, there's a bull shark just circling around the weight down there. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, so when I came back up, I was I didn't tell my wife or anything until we we like got back to you know back to shore and all that. And I was like, you know, did you see that bull shark down there? And she's like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just it's just uh, you know it, it didn't mess with me, but one of the cool things. Yeah, because bull sharks are what what was the movie based off for Jaws. I mean, that's what really started the whole thing and such. And yeah. we've actually had bull sharks make it as far north as Illinois, the Illinois River. Yeah, a lot of people don't know they'll go into fresh water, and they sure will. They are they are tough and mean. Not really something you want to mess with. Oh, exactly. Did you see? I don't know if you saw this, but uh, it was was it July or was it June or what? Or sometime in the summer. But they there was a photograph taken an aerial shot of this this large black blob or off the coast of brazil or over or over by Argentina and stuff like that and it was just a, a big old flurry of fish and stuff like that well as they zoomed in they found a 70 foot megalodon literally right next to it holy cow no i didn't know it yeah it's 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 made its appearance several times all throughout the interwebs that is huge yeah the, the closest thing we have is uh of something like that is so in the summertime you know we have a lot of tourists come down to pensacola beach orange beach Destin, Florida, yeah stuff like that and the, you know we've got really white sand so you know from from the sky you can you can really see through the water it's pretty clear and you'll see people out there any this probably isn't good for tourism in, in that area but uh you know they'll they'll do a flyover and you'll see the sharks like towards the drop off um you know just feet away from people and and you know sometimes you know it happens but again i've lived most of my life down here never really had an encounter um but it certainly does does happen oh what it does it doesn't surprise me but as of starting to, like to dive into the uh cryptoid aspect of the ocean and such because we don't know what's all in there we, we we know more about space than we knew about than there but i was like i was looking at uh there's some footage from australia back around 2003 and there was a blue humpback whale and there was a section about eight meters long missing of its tailbone so you got you got the tail that bone right behind it gone yeah it, it's there's nothing out there right now that's that big that that we know of it's like so they're they're lying to us that the megalodon doesn't kind of like uh, uh mountain lions living in being in iowa or, or wisconsin or minnesota yeah now there's some gnarly stuff down there for sure i mean and it's the, the thing like when you free dive and all that like the first layer of of you know the water is the visibility where we're at is not very good it it doesn't visibility doesn't really open up until you get down a bit and your mind will will play a million tricks on you and get you know kind of get inside of your head and you have to like mentally just like just block a lot of that out of you know what could or or, or or you know what might be down there and all but um oh it, completely understand that man we have the same thing up here too it's like with with the with the black bears around here yeah. you could you can think anything could be a black bear yeah. just because of how it all looks like that and the thing is when it comes down to black bears, they're they're just as scared of you as we are of, the, of it. And it's like they could be walking right by you, and they won't even know. It's like kind of like that that sow and her five cubs. She had no idea my buddy was only forty yards up, twenty feet up in the tree. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, so I had a I had a bear tag when I was out in Colorado, and you know a lot of bear there as well. A lot on video or, or film, and um, you know, never came in. And a lot of it really is the wind. If the wind's wrong or they smell you, I mean, they're gone. Um, but you certainly don't want to get by any cubs. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, that's that's a good way to ask you for question because I had uh, I had four of my friends all get tags and like their kids got tags too. So I have a buddy of mine's been on my podcast, Ryan Nordahl. Him and his two boys got tags. They didn't they didn't they didn't they weren't successful. My buddy Seth, he him and his boy got a tag t- tags as well. They weren't they were able to like, put things together too as well. But it's that win, man. They're they're ex- that nose is so powerful. No, absolutely, and um, you know, even the guides were saying like, uh, okay, you know, they might come here, they might go there, or whatever. And they said, you know, if they come up, just poke them, you know, just poke them with an arrow or something. Like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm going to get a tag. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, right? Yeah. Uh, or or a salvage tag because I, I have I have no idea what the legalities of defending yourself against a bear. Yeah. what 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 constitutes being able to what is uh, uh defense and what isn't because it's like it's a gray area because you could be out there shooting bears and stuff like that and you're you're calling the dnr like hey so it's I, I, it's something that's a very muddy scenario and i wouldn't want to even try to break that down over a podcast without speaking to a dnr agent to like how this should be something like that to be handled because you need you need from uh, someone that's from a uh, subject matter expert on such a such a thing because you don't want to be giving out advice that could potentially get them arrested or killed yeah no I, I think it's an interesting topic too and that as many bears as they're out there and you know i wouldn't say it's a nuisance type of situation but um you know they did tell me okay if we do shoot a bear the process that we have to go through with the bear is you know there's certain rules but that they they do a lot of research on any bear that you take um you know, even down to, you know, they measure the nipples through this gauge type of thing. So you're not supposed to, you know, shoot one with cubs and they can tell basically when it had cubs or, or all. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's very regulated and they do a lot of research on it for sure. Um, did you see, uh, wasn't too long ago, uh, I think it was on Instagram or something. I saw like a reel of the mountain lion. Actually, there's been a couple mountain lion, uh, videos. I think, where'd I see it? Maybe Joe Rogan. I know Rogan. Yeah, Rogan, Rogan had where the guy had, had a Glock. Oh he's backing you up and recording and stuff like that. Like, dude, I would have both. I'd, if I was in a situation, I wouldn't be recording. But then again, who would want to believe you that? Yeah. But it's like, I think at that point in time, my life is more precious than a video camera. It's like, I'm going to have both hands on that gun, ready to rock and roll. Oh, and that, I mean, that 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 mountain lion was, I mean, was going after him. I mean, it, it was, oh. it, there was no doubt about it, that it, it wasn't just a, you know, you happened upon it. It got scared and defend. No, it, it was, it was on. It was hunting him. It was, he just happened to catch it because out of all those predators out there, I, like I'd rather die from a cat than anything else because they'll go for the jugger. They'll go for the kill. <laughs> when like bears and wolves, they'll you. start from your ankles up. Yeah. They won't play with you. <laughs> like a toy. No. No, exactly. But yeah, that's that that, that happened. And there was, uh, I think they're both in Colorado or at least someplace out west. Then you had those guys from Wyoming that had a bear uh, t- tackle one of them, and then his other friend comes and tackle that and put it in a ch- chokehold, and they both managed to survive. And yeah. then what was it? There was another guy that was out hiking and it had a bear attack him too. And they were he was lucky enough that he was on the side of a cliff, and the bear yeah, jumped like, went too far, hit him or something. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, where it hit him, but it's like the bear had so much momentum it went down. And something and he bopped it in the nose with his foot. It's yeah. like, man, there was like there was some those crazy interactions. Yeah, and there wasn't there was uh, something not too long ago. Some I think teenagers were out like shed hunting, and uh, a G bear got I think it was it was a grizzly bear um, got a hold of the kid and and uh, did a number on him, but he survived. But wow, that's impressive that he survived because I mean those grizzly bears they don't tend to let let off yeah i think it was a grizzly bear but it was it was certainly a bear attack and um i want to say that was maybe montana or something like that but 
What I've seen, I'm not sure if you've been paying attention, but we've seen an uptick in like Yellowstone and uh, Custer's Park there in South Dakota where people are kind of going up to these, the bigger animals and they have this Disney point of view and it's like these animals are live. And we've seen, I've seen, uh, I don't know when it happened, but there was a, by Buffalo, yeeted a guy into a tree. Um, there was a situation, I'm not sure if there was in Yellowstone, I think it was, but there was a bull elk and stuff like that, yep. it's a young satellite bull, and they were feeding it, and all of a sudden they stopped feeding, and then they got aggressive with them. Yep. No, it's, uh, you know, like you say, Disney, the Disney point of view of, of, of nature uh, can be really, really dangerous. Um, you know, in a lot of these parks that, uh, you know, the animals are used to humans, they're comfortable with humans, and, and you know, you have that barrier well, you don't have a barrier at that point. It gets smaller and smaller, and margin of error is is, is obviously uh, things can go bad really quick. Um, you know, again, I think people need to spend time outdoors in nature, learning and knowing. You know, some type of woodsmanship to to some degree. Oh, that that's a very thing. That's a very pop uh, thing that needs to be addressed. Is the woodsmanship? That's something that's it's a lost art, yep. and especially in schools, because especially when it comes into biology, that is something that needs to. They need to get out there and do these uh, nature walks and stuff because there's they're going to be able to learn so much from doing that instead of looking at it on a, on a uh, in a book. Because I think a lot of stuff comes down. They're always used to seeing them in zoos and such too, as well. Yep. And if you if you really want to put some thoughts on the first piece of anti hunting that ever came out was bambi yeah not for sure yeah it's like it's it's like when that dates back to 1946 it's like man they've been anti-hunting like mm -hmm. they've been anti-hunting since then it's like geez yeah no it's uh it's that and i think you know even you know i love technology i love gear and all that type of thing but even the you know again being out west opened my eyes also to the fact that a lot sometimes that stuff doesn't work so what are you going to do and i think you know, luckily I've got some land navigation, uh, you know, it, knowledge and, and experience at night, uh, night navigation is different than during the day, but you know, what happens if, you know, your, your Garmin goes down or what happens, you know, can you use a compass? Can you, can you shoot asthma somewhere? You know, that type of thing. I think that's, that's something I'd, you know, I'm definitely going to teach my son. Oh, definitely. And the cool thing is, I don't know if you, are you familiar with uh, Rich Graham for, um, uh, full spectrum warrior out of Florida. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he offered like, I used to have another podcast called the American sheepdog podcast. And we actually had rich on, and we had, a, we actually had his ear for about three hours and he actually has a topographic map reading course. He, does, he has three levels for it. And it's like, for those who that want to learn it from a subject matter expert and, and then have them and have, and it's like the courses are not that expensive. It's only like, I think it's less than, two or three hundred bucks to do okay. land nav one and stuff like that. so that's pretty cheap and that's plus you get to to work with rich graham that, yeah. that guy is still a warrior yeah I, I know uh so i've seen his stuff i think aaron snyder from kafaru is doing uh he, he's doing some like land nav type of courses and things like that and of course that's out in wyoming but um yeah i think uh for a couple hundred bucks man that's a deal um oh, he especially save your life <laughs> Oh, definitely. I was telling, I was talking, it was funny. We were, I was just talking about topographic maps with a buddy of mine here in town or up in uh, Eau Claire. And he's, uh, he's uh, very well versed in guns. So I was like, dude, it's like, what if you just take your P mags and like when you, when you have them lasered and stuff like that, actually put a topographic map of where you're hunting at 
on that PMAG. So this way then it's like you have the all that information right there. So if things go south, it's like you, you if you have an altimeter or a compass, like that, but at least you have that magazine will have that imprint on there. It's like, that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. You'd, you'd have a few mags if you hunted at large. That's a good idea. Yeah, exactly right. You know, plus it's like you don't even have to worry about. Uh, if, let's say you, you carry three or four mags with you, so like, but they're not loaded. It's like, but it's like you have those as a map on there. So it's like you're if you're going out hunting someplace, and it's like, and you're going to be gr bringing that with you, like a like a, something that at least has at least ten or fifteen rounds, something big enough where you can actually put that on there. Yeah. You could be able to put some very interesting things on there to give you some pointers to how to how to go from there. Especially if you're, I told him it's like if you focus like like a, start with a small area. Wisconsin or something like that, where you're hunting at, and see how that how that translates to it. It's like yeah. you could probably find yourself in a situation where it's actually going to pay for itself in the end. Yeah, because I mean, how many guys are carrying a paper map of their their area? No, not very many. <laughs> probably. But the best part is a dual purpose now. So now you have a magazine that holds yeah. ammunition, and now you have an, a topographical map. That's pretty cool. Yeah, or the back of your phone, or I, I don't know, just any. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Yeah, or shoot, we talked about holsters. Like, hey, dude, I need, I need uh, this mountain range on this holster. Can you put it on there for me? All right, right. It's like, well, it's like, well, you're getting the new G20, man. That's that's a, that's a long barrel. That's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of material. Yeah, we could, we, could, we could cover some land on that for sure. Oh, definitely, man. All right, dude, man. We we this has been a really really fun conversation here. Uh, is what's the best ways to reach out to you, Stuart? So uh, probably Instagram, I'm on the most. Uh, so my handle there is at s.g.holmes. Uh, as you said earlier, getting started up on YouTube. So uh, that's been maybe a couple months uh, at it. Um, so there I'm Archers Insight. And that is Archers in the letter N site, all one word. Uh, go check me out. Also shoot me a DM. I'm super approachable. Uh, Jeff will tell you. <laughs> I respond yes. pretty, pretty, uh, pretty quick. Excellent, folks. And we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you for the information here, Stuart. Uh, we're, I'm going to cut the, the live feed now, and then Stuart and I are actually going to sit down and have a conversation about cooking. That episode will debut on Friday, the audio version of that and the video version of it. So please tune in then. I want to give you guys some, some anticipation to listen to about his tasty backstrap, which I will include the recipe that he provided. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America podcast. 